space to concentrate. One executive I know is intelligent and driven, but constantly distracted. At any given time, he will have Twitter, Gmail, Facebook, and multiple IM conversations going at once. In an effort to create a distraction-free space, he once tried to have his executive assistant pull all the internet cables on his computer, but he still found too many ways to get online. So when he was struggling to complete a particularly big project, he resorted to a desperate measure. He gave his phone away and went to a motel with no internet access. After eight weeks of almost solitary confinement, he was able to get the project done. To me, it is a little sad that this executive was driven to such measures. Yet while his methods may have been extreme, I can't argue with his intention. He knew that making his highest point of contribution on a task required that he create the space for unencumbered thought. Think of Sir Isaac Newton. He spent two years working on what became Principia Mathematica, his famous writings on universal gravitation and the three laws of motion. This period of almost solitary confinement proved critical in what became a true breakthrough that shaped scientific thinking for the next 300 years. Richard S. Westfall has written, In the age of his celebrity, Newton was asked how he had discovered the law of universal gravitation. By thinking on it continually, was the reply. What he thought on, he thought on continually, which is to say exclusively or nearly exclusively. In other words, Newton created space for intense concentration, and this uninterrupted space enabled him to explore the essential elements of the universe. Inspired by Newton, I took a similar, if perhaps less extreme, approach to writing this book. I blocked off eight hours a day to write, from 5am to 1pm, five days a week. The basic rule was no email, no calls, no appointments, and no interruptions until after 1pm. I didn't always achieve it, but the discipline made a big difference. I set my email bounce back to explain that I was in monk mode until after the book was complete. It is difficult to overstate how much freedom I found in this approach. By creating space to explore, think and write, I not only got my book done faster, but gained control over how I spent the rest of my time. It seems obvious, but when did you last take time out of your busy day simply to sit and think? I don't mean the five minutes during your morning commute you spent composing the day's to-do list or the meeting you spent zoned out reflecting on how to approach another project you were working on. I'm talking about deliberately setting aside distraction-free time in a distraction-free space to do absolutely nothing other than think. This is, of course, more difficult today than ever in our gadget-filled, overstimulated world. One leader at Twitter once asked me, can you remember what it was like to be bored? It doesn't happen anymore. He's right. Just a few years ago, if you were stuck in the airport waiting for a delayed flight, or in the waiting room of a doctor's office, you probably just sat there, staring into space, feeling bored. Today, everyone waiting around in an airport or a waiting room is glued to their technology tools of choice. Of course, nobody likes to be bored. But by abolishing any chance of being bored, we have also lost the time we used to have to think and process. Here's another paradox for you. The faster and busier things get, the more we need to build thinking time into our schedule. And the noisier things get, the more we need to build quiet reflection spaces 
in which we can truly focus. No matter how busy you think you are, you can carve time and space to think out of your workday. Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, for example, schedules up to two hours of blank space on his calendar every day. He divides them into 30-minute increments, yet he schedules nothing. It is a simple practice he developed when back-to-back meetings left him with little time to process what was going on around him. At first it felt like an indulgence, a waste of time, but eventually he found it to be his single most valuable productivity tool. He sees it as the primary way he can ensure he is in charge of his own day instead of being at the mercy of it. As he explained to me, I do recall one particular day where, by virtue of circumstances, I was either on conference calls or in meetings non-stop from 5am until 9pm. At the end of the day, I remember how frustrated I felt by the thought that I was not in control of my schedule that day. Rather, it was in control of me. However, that frustration immediately gave way to a sense of gratitude given it was the only day I could recall feeling like that since taking my current role. In this space, he is able to think about the essential questions. What the company will look like in three to five years? What's the best way to improve an already popular product or address an unmet customer need? How to widen a competitive advantage or close a competitive gap? He also uses the space he creates to recharge himself emotionally. This allows him to shift between problem-solving mode and the coaching mode expected of him as a leader. For Jeff, creating space is more than a practice. It is part of a broader philosophy. He has seen the effects of the undisciplined pursuit of more on organizations and in the lives of executives. So for him, it's not a slogan or a buzz phrase. It is a philosophy. Space to read. We can take further inspiration from the example of Bill Gates, who regularly and famously takes a regular week off from his daily duties simply to think and read. I once attended a question and answer session with Bill at the headquarters of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in Seattle, Washington. By chance, he had just completed his latest Think Week. Though I had heard about this practice, What I didn't know was that it goes all the way back to the 1980s and that he stuck to it through the height of Microsoft's expansion. In other words, twice a year, during the busiest and most frenetic time in the company's history, he still created time and space to seclude himself for a week and do nothing but read articles. His record is 112. And books, study technology, and think about the bigger picture. Today, he still takes the time away from the daily distractions of running his foundation to simply think. If setting aside a full week seems overwhelming or impossible, there are ways of putting a little think week into every day. One practice I've found useful is simply to read something from classic literature, not a blog or the newspaper or the latest beach novel, for the first 20 minutes of the day. Not only does this squash my previous tendency to check my email as soon as I wake up, it centers my day, it broadens my perspective, and reminds me of themes and ideas that are essential enough to have withstood the test of time. My preference is for inspirational literature, though such a choice is a personal one. But for the interested, here are some to consider. Zen, The Reason of Unreason, The Wisdom of Confucius, 
the Torah, the Holy Bible, Tao, to know and not be knowing, the meaning of the glorious Quran, an explanatory translation, as a man thinketh, the essential Gandhi, Walden, or life in the woods, the Book of Mormon, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, and the Upanishads. There are a myriad of options. Just make sure to select something that was written before our hyperconnected era and yet seems timeless. Such writings can challenge our assumptions about what really matters. Whether you can invest two hours a day, two weeks a year, or even just five minutes every morning, it is important to make space to escape in your busy life.